Father, the psalmist uh, at one point said to you, and this is something we can all relate to, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. It's amazing how we never have one anxious thought. Uh, An anxious thought always brings a friend or actually an enemy. And then there's another one. There's not two, there's not three, but they breed. And our imaginations take over. And we can be relatively calm and having a good day, and suddenly an anxious thought will hit us. But that immediately leads to another, to another, to another, to another. We've all dealt with this. We've all experienced it. But we are grateful, Lord, that uh, there are truths in Scripture which console us. Uh, These are truths that are facts. These are are truths that uh, can fight off the imaginations of our heart and... uh, and talk us down off the ledge when we just start getting overwhelmed. Thank you for the truth that you give us in your word. Thank you that you understand us so well. Lord, there are times when we'll deal with some of this anxiety, and we're just, and, and we, you know, we don't even understand why we're anxious. I mean, we do, but then. A lot of times, Lord, we don't understand our, our own thoughts. We don't understand why we're angry. We don't even get ourselves, but you get us. You understand our thought from afar. Um, we are your people and the sheep of your pasture. We thank you that you lead us personally every day, and you lead us through the truths of your word. This is why we come and study your word. This is why we come and open your book. Um, We're just human. Uh, Nobody in here has got this whole Christianity thing wired. We're all learning. And the minute we think we're starting to arrive is the minute we're being foolish. Let him who stands take heed lest he fall. So tonight, for each guy that's here, each guy is different, each guy is facing different issues in his life, different pressures, different pressure points, different fears, different concerns. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who consistently takes the truth of Scripture and applies it to each man in this room. Our uh, hearts need to be touched. Uh, Some of us, Lord, uh, are still carrying wounds from years and years ago. You're able to heal those wounds of the heart. We ask that you would make this time significant and valuable as we come with uh, open hearts and open Bibles. That's our prayer tonight. In Jesus' name, we would ask these things. Amen. Amen. Psalm 1611. If you will, this is kind of becoming the... uh, the default verse for this study, uh, the psalmist says, you will make known to me the path of life. We're on a path. We are on a trail. We're on a road. We're going somewhere. And uh, we have uh, observed that Jesus said that there are two trails in life. Broad is the road. This is Matthew 7, 14. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. That's the trail. That's the path we all start start out on. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. It's the road that most people are on. 
It's the road we were all on. But when we meet Christ, we hear the gospel, the Spirit of God regenerates us, pulls us to Christ, and we trust in Christ alone. He puts us on that second trail, narrow, it goes on and says, but narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few are those who find it. So when we meet Christ, uh, and we hear the gospel, we we repent of our sin, we're, we're turning from being our own gods. Most of us, not most of us, all of us worship the God of self. We're all about self. You're selfish and I'm selfish. Um, gosh, how many years ago was this the biggest book in America? I'm okay, you're okay. I'm okay, you're okay. I mean, I'd like to write a book sometime called I'm Screwed Up, You're Screwed Up. <laughs> We're not okay. We're screwed up. You're screwed up, and I'm screwed up. They're, they're in the 60s, I remember going into this bookstore in the Bay Area uh, on El Camino in Menlo Park. What was that called? I don't know. Some 60s counterculture bookstore. I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But they had this poster. First time I ever saw the poster, Yeah, they had a prayer. It was called the Gestalt Prayer written by Fritz Perls. You do your thing, and I'll do mine. And if by chance we find each other, it's beautiful. That was it. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That's what you call deceived. You do your thing, Just think about marriage for a minute. So you say to your wife, you do your thing, and I'll do mine. And if by chance we find each other, let me tell you something, that's hell. That's not beautiful. Because, see, when I do my thing, I'm selfish. And when you do your thing, you're selfish. We're very selfish people. In the Old Testament, they had a lot of different idols that they worshipped. I think without a doubt, the number one idol in America, there are a lot of idols. The number one idol is self. We're into self-realization, self-fulfillment, self-understanding, self-actualization. We're just selfish. We're just selfish. We meet Christ, and uh, I'm on this uh, broad road doing what's best for me, and Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Follow me. That means he leads, I follow. That means he's God, I'm not. So I repent of my sin. And to repent, I always think of as making a U-turn. It, uh, it's a change of mind, it's a change of heart. And I'm going on this direction, I meet Christ, I turn, and I start following him. He puts me on a new trail. That's where we are. We're on the trail of life. It's a trail for our whole lives. Um, And we've been looking at this trail. You see the word path all the time in Scripture? Uh, Jesus talked about broad is the road that leads to destruction. You see the word way. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lead not unto your own understanding. This is Proverbs 3. But acknowledge him. In all thy ways, and he shall direct thy path. You see? We're on a path. We're going somewhere. We're making decisions. We've got things in front of us. We've got things we've got to face. We've got opportunities. We have things we want to run from. We have things we want to avoid. I need wisdom as I'm going down the trail and the path of life. So, again, we're just working through this concept. We have said so far in here, Jesus said there are two trails. Then one night we talked about the fact that there is kind of a, there's another trail, maybe a third trail. It's not a real trail. It's a counterfeit trail. It's called a shortcut. And we're always looking for shortcuts to happiness. We're always looking for shortcuts to our own fulfillment. Uh, we, we, uh, we don't want to do the hard thing. We, we want to do the easy thing. And a shortcut is a temptation that Satan sends to us, brings to us, that uh, you don't have to do it God's way. Uh, here's a better way, an easier way, 
uh, it's a temptation to sin. Uh, then we talked about, um, there's, there's another trail, there's a fourth trail. By the way, the, the shortcut always, always uh, will lead you to the uh, broad trail of destruction. It never ends well. Okay. There's a fourth trail. We talked about this last week. The fourth trail is the trail with your name on it. It's God's individual plan for every individual guy in this, world, in this room. God has a plan for the ages. God has a plan for all mankind. Uh, history is his story. You look back, and you can see what God has unfolded in history. Uh, the scriptures tell us some things that are coming in the future. And God oversees it all. God has planned it all. He's put it on in place. Uh, even as things fall apart, God is still in charge. God is still in control. So things which look like things are out of control, they're actually under control. Jesus told us in Matthew 24 that in the last days there are going to be signs and things are going to get worse and worse and worse. And gosh, that, that certainly fits. Um, but he, he said, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So even though things structurally in the world, we get further and further away from God's plan, and it seems like things are falling apart, underneath are the everlasting arms for God's people and for the whole world because he's going somewhere with this. He owns it. He runs it. Okay. In the midst of all this God is doing is my individual trail, my individual path. Um, I'd like you to turn to Ephesians 2.8. These are very familiar words. And in Ephesians chapter 2, Verse 8, there are some, um, there's some information about our individual path. Uh, in Ephesians, in, in, in Ephesians, um, you see, you see he, he starts off with God's master plan for the ages. Uh, go to Ephesians 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. That's interesting because Paul was on another trail. In fact, he, everything that's, that's in, that, that was in New Testament Christianity, he was against. And then he became the biggest uh, advocate of Christianity in the New Testament church. Wrote more New Testament letters than anyone else. Um, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And uh, anyway, God had a plan for him. It wasn't his plan, but God had a plan. Paul, an apostle by Christ Jesus, by the will of God, not his will, God's will. To the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We've said in here that um, Jesus was always speaking of two worlds. The secular individual, uh, the secular universities, the scientists. Used to be all the great scientists were Christians. And you go back and look at Sir Isaac Newton and all these guys. They were always just discovering the wonders of, of God who spoke the worlds into existence. It's amazing to read their writings. We've had a shift. And uh, now supposedly you can't be a scientist if you believe in God because, you see, the secular man believes this is the only world that there is. But this is not the only world there is. Jesus said time and time and time and time and time again, there is another world. And this is preparation for the next world. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. He had a plan for you before you were born before you exi existed. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons. Someone asked me before we got going tonight, he said, so predestination? He said, yeah. You, you know, I kind of have a little trouble with that. I, don't, I understand. Predestination, you know what it means? God's got a plan. I'm good with that. Because let me tell you something. I've had a lot of plans that I thought were pretty cool, 
and they weren't. My plans tend not to work out. God has a superb plan. He's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for me. He's got a plan for the whole world. He predestined us to adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself. And so, so some Christians really struggle with that. Well, I don't like that. Well, look at the next verse. According to the kind, of, kind intention of his will. It's a kindness that he's done that for us. To the praise of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, who is Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. That means because of what Jesus did, our sins are forgiven, and now we are qualified to enter into heaven in the next world. And we're getting there quickly. Okay. Uh, look at verse 11. Also, we've obtained, in, in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. There it is again. He's got a plan. I've got an inheritance. I'm going somewhere. Okay, now, I could, I'm not going to read any more there, although it's fascinating stuff. Go to Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's where we were. We were on the wrong trail. We were, we were, we were dead spiritually, alive physically, but we were all about ourselves. We were all about ourselves. But then it goes on and says... Uh, in, uh, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. That's, that's the old trail. It's where we used to walk. According to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Ah, but Christ being rich in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. There's the shift. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, that's our, we already have our position in the heavenlies with Christ. We're living on this earth, but because of what Christ has done, that position is reserved for us Verse 7, watch this, so that in the ages to come, how, how long are you going to be on this earth? Not much longer. You say, I'm only 20. Well, you're not going to be on this earth much longer. You're not going to be on this earth 100 years, are you? No. No. So what do you got? 90? 70? 50? I don't know. But not long. Seems like a long time, but it's not long. So you're going to die, and then what are you going to do? Well, it's, see, this doesn't stop when we die on earth. Watch this. Look at verse 7. So that in the ages to come, the ages to come, yeah, that's the other world. It's all the way through the Bible. It's either true or it isn't. Okay. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He's just going to keep giving us favor and favor and favor and favor. I've been thinking about this as of late, that we're all trying, not all, but so many of us were trying so hard, you know, to look young and keep our health and all that. That's good, that's good stuff. Um, we don't know anything about health. The healthiest day of your life, you just wait till you get to heaven. We have no idea what's waiting for us in terms of health, in terms of mental acuity, mental sharpness. We have no clue what God has for us. It's better than this, I'll tell you that. We're going to have glorified, resurrected bodies. This is good to think about from time to time. Because what it does is it gives you massive hope as things kind of continue to unravel all the way around us. Okay? All right. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Even the fact that you know Christ is not of yourself, it's a gift of God. Faith is a gift of God. Well, I heard the gospel and exercised faith in Christ. Yeah, but you were spiritually dead, so how did you exercise faith in Christ if you were dead? He regenerated you so you could... Uh, yeah, Lazarus. Remember Lazarus? 
Lazarus was dead. Jesus stayed away on purpose so that there could be no question that Lazarus was dead. He shows up. His sisters both say to him, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. He meets one and he meets the other. Jesus said, he who believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. And then Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus. And there are others buried around there. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. Now, I have a question. How do dead men hear? Have you ever thought about this? Lazarus was dead. How did he hear Jesus? By the way, dead men don't hear real well. They don't hear at all. How did he hear Jesus if he was dead? Let me tell you how he heard Jesus. Jesus made him alive so that he could hear him and so that he could come forth. <laughs> See, we think we become in life in Christ when we trigger and say, Jesus, come into my life. You were dead. He had to come into your life, make you alive, so you could say, Jesus, come into my life. That's astonishing, and it's absolutely logical. Is it not? And it just makes you love him more. <laughs> because last week, we spent a lot of time on 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you have not received? Even spiritual life, even, even responding to the gospel was a gift of God. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. I'm almost done here. I'm going to 10 and I'll stop. Not as a result of works that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, not trying to earn salvation. We were already saved in verse 8 through grace. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. All right, now I want to stop there. Uh, just out of 8, 9, and 10, let me draw three principles. Okay? Number one, there is a purpose for your life. Absolutely, there is a purpose. Uh, he gave you physical life at a certain point. He gave you spiritual life, brought you to Christ. Uh, we're his workmanship. He has formed us and fashioned us. And the way he has formed us and fashioned us with our personalities and our giftings has to do with the work that he has for us to do in life. And you say, well, I'm not sure what my work is. Well, that's okay. Just know that uh, he fashions us for a reason and for a purpose. He has put us together a certain way because that enables, see, he has a work that he wants us to do and it all ties together. Here's the second thing. Not only is there a purpose for your life, number two, there is a plan for your life. Do not ever doubt that. God has a plan. He set it in motion before. If you're in Christ, you've been predestined all the way to eternity. Now, that, isn't, that means, let's, 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 let's just clarify this. It doesn't mean that you don't have any choice. It doesn't mean that you don't make decisions. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means, quite frankly, that if God left you to your own devices, you would never choose him. If God left the whole world just to themselves and to their free will, by the way, your free will is dead when it comes to choosing God. You can choose a Ford or a Chevy. You know, you can choose um, what baseball team you want to... Yeah, you got all kinds of choices. I mean, you can choose Rocky Road or Vanilla. You can choose. But in terms of choosing God, no. Psalm 14, there's no one who seeks him. There's no one who does good. God's looked over all the sons of men. There is no one who seeks God. Oh, really? Yeah. So he seeks us. The son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came after us. We love him because he first loved us. Okay, okay he's getting this. The reason we're even interested in the Bible is because he has given us eternal life, and it's just a gift. Now, we, we have choices, but we'll never choose him, so he chose us. And he has a plan that 
takes us all the way in to eternity, and you say, what's that going to be like? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I think it's going to be good. Don't you? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. We don't have the bandwidth to understand it. It's going to be phenomenal. Here's number three. Not only is it, uh, 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 well, let me give it to you. There is a poem to your life. Not only is there a purpose for your life, not only is there a plan for your life, there is a poem to your life. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, for we are his workmanship. And if we took the time and went into Psalm 139, you would see how David talks about you formed me and fashioned me and put me together in my mother's womb. Uh, isn't it interesting how each of your kids, they come out of the womb and they're all different? You got three kids, you got three different kids. Three personalities, three different temperaments. You know, somebody's a math major, someone is all about people, and they don't even know what math is. And then you have someone else that's, uh, you know, they're all wired differently. And so you got one that's an extrovert, and you got one that's an introvert. And uh, if your first child is uh, compliant, you think you're, you think you're a brilliant parent. <laughs> and then your second baby is hard-hearted and came out of the womb breathing fire and spitting upon you. <laughs> They're not compliant. They're going to fight you every step of the way. Kind of funny how that works, isn't it? They're all different. God forms us and fashions us in the womb, okay? Uh, whereas workmanship. Uh, the word workmanship, this, is, this just blows me away. It's the Greek word poema. We are his workmanship. We are his poem. Fascinating, isn't it? Now, this immediately raises some questions with some guys. You're telling me I'm God's poem. Well, let me tell you something. I don't feel like God's poem because where I am in my life at this moment, aren't poems supposed to rhyme? Well, let me tell you something. In my life, there is no rhyme. I'm hearing the word. There is no rhyme and there's no what? There's no reason. How many times do we feel like that in life? Because of the things that we encounter on the trail. I guess tonight, what I want to discuss is what we do when the trail gets tough. What we do, um, how do we respond um, when the trail is disappointing? How do we respond when the trail, uh, on the trail, we get, uh, we get stalled, we, we get delayed. And, and our life suddenly makes no sense. Uh, there are delays and disappointments on the trail. There are sufferings on the trail. There is hardship on the trail. And see, uh, at times, we get, a, we get a, a big dose of it and we look at our lives and we begin to ask the questions. Well, God, listen, I, if, where are you? I thought you were for me. I, I remember in my early 30s, I remember this very clearly. I, and, and once again, that was a season where God was really doing some heavy-duty surgery on me, and I needed it. But every time I turned around, I was getting pounded, just, just obliterated. I felt like an offensive, I felt like a quarterback who would take the snap, go back to pass, and my lineman would come after me. <laughs> I remember that. I mean, I expect the defense to come after me. But my guys, I wanted to say, hey, God, look at my jersey. Look, I'm on your team. Yay, God. Yay, Jesus. My name is in your program. I'm, I can't catch a break from you. Why, why are you doing this to me? You're killing me. You're absolutely killing me. And he was, from my standpoint. 
Actually, what he was trying to do was to mature me. We have times, as, as Christian men on the trail, we, we look around at what's going on, that God, if God's in charge of my life, this is what he's got in mind for me, and we say, this is nuts, this is crazy, there is no rhyme or reason to this. Uh, it's understandable when we get hit so hard in so many different areas of our life, it just, it's bone crushing, and um, we're going to go to Psalm 77 in a minute, and we're going to see if you've never experienced this, you're going you're gonna to read what it's like to experience it. Um, yeah, go to Psalm 77, if you would, please. When we say there's no rhyme or reason to what's happening to me, it, it would make sense we would ask that question. But here, on the other side of the equation, let me ask you a question. And we say, well, poems are supposed to rhyme. Well, let me ask you this. Does every word in a poem rhyme? No. No. You don't get a rhyme until you get to the end of the line. When things happen to us that disturb us and hurt us and pain us and devastate us and rob us of hope and joy, um, we, we don't see any poem. We don't see any rhyme. But the fact of the matter is that because God has a plan and God has a purpose, he is using all of that. And the longer it continues, the, the, the harder it is to maintain hope. But I, what, I'm, and what I'm trying to say is that it is possible in the line to be two or three words away from a rhyme and you don't know it because you've been enduring so long. And you think, this will never change, it will always be this way. Psalm 77, see, we go to the Psalms because it's always fascinating to me, it's interesting to me. When, when life gets hard and life gets tough and the bottom falls out, we go to the Psalms. Because the psalmist, see, as they were going down the trail of life, David wrote 75 of the Psalms, he'd hit, he'd hit a tough stretch, and then under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he would write out what he was experiencing. Well, there's a reason the Lord did that, because here we come along, generations come along after, and David hit a certain place on the trail. You're probably going to hit that place on the trail. And what happens is he describes exactly what you are feeling and experiencing at this point on the trail because he went through it. You're not going to avoid this stuff. Psalm 77, my voice rises to God, and I will cry aloud. This is not David, this is Asaph. My voice rises to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. In the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. Couldn't sleep. He's calling on God. He, he, he needs a break. My soul refused to be comforted. That is quite a statement. And I, you know what? I am so glad that's there. Because there will be times on the trail... Uh, you will experience this kind of, it's not always, but there will be a season or two or three in your life where you will, you will hit some rough turf. My soul refused to be comforted. Watch this. When I remember God, I'm disturbed. Thanks for saying that. Why? Because he doesn't get what God's doing. Do you ever not get what God's doing? Sure you do. And you think, well, I shouldn't be angry with God. Oh, no, well, I'm, you know, I'm too spiritually angry with God. So you go rip up your wife. You ever heard of displaced anger? Go ahead and just tell the Lord you're upset. He knows you're upset. And he knows why you're upset. He, you know, it doesn't throw him. He knows. He knows, he knows this is tough stuff. When you say no sometimes to your kids, they really, really want to do something. They, they got their hopes and they got their dreams. And you say no for whatever reason. They're not quite ready. It's not wise. And you understand 
what that's like. You remember being a kid? You know what's going on in their heart and all. You know, just, and they think you're mean and cruel and you're so strict and all that. And give them 25 years and they'll be doing the exact same thing with their kids. Right? Okay. Uh, when I remember God, I'm disturbed. When I sigh, my spirit goes faint. You have held my eyelids open. That means he can't sleep. I'm so troubled, I can't even speak. Now, what happens? He's trying to pull himself out of it. Because in his present situation on the trail, he is in, he's in a deep hole. Watch him try to pull himself out of it. I have considered the days of old, the years of long ago. In other words, he starts looking over his history in the faithfulness of God. That's a very good thing to do. It's a very good thing to do. I will remember my song. In the, oh, I've considered the days of old, the years of long ago. I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart and my spirit ponders. See, he's trying to think his way through this. What's he, what's he, what's he, trying, to, what's he trying to work through? We'll look at the next paragraph. Will the Lord reject forever? In other words, is God going to leave me alone in this deal forever? No. I mean, he knows he's not, but he feels that way. Will the Lord reject forever? And will he never be favorable again? What's the answer to that? He'll be favorable again. And he knows it. But he's just dying inside for the moment. Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Well, no. See, what this guy is doing is, it's the same thing as Psalm 42. He is talking to himself instead of listening to himself. He's trying to talk truth to himself in the midst of his absolute turmoil and and troubled heart. He's talking truth to himself. The guy in Psalm 42 says, why are you in despair, O my soul? That's talking to yourself. So oftentimes we listen to the wrong thoughts that we have. And we get in the hole and we say, well, God's forgotten me. He'll never be faithful. He'll never come through. He'll never, he'll never, he'll never. Well, that's just nonsense because of what we know about the character of God. You see? He is talking to himself instead of listening to himself. Has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten how to be gracious? No. Or has he in anger withdrawn his compassion? Then I said, it's my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. Sure, because I'm in a tough stretch. Of course I'm grieved because I've had some kind of major loss. Guys grieve when they have loss. Loss of a career, loss of a wife, loss of a child, loss of health, loss of whatever you can name. We grieve over loss. What had he lost? The favor and blessing and the life that he had. He, in, instead of the, 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 the nice house and the nice income, he didn't know he was going to make it through the week. Now watch him fight again to maintain his, his, his equilibrium. Uh, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Verse 11, surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on your, on your work and muse on your deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is like our God? See, he's talking truth now. You are the God who works wonders. And then he's going to go right into the whole Red Sea thing. The rest of the psalm, the Red Sea. You're the God who works wonders. Because those people, my, my, my relatives generations back, they were in that spot. There was absolutely no escape. There was no way out. There was no exit. They were, they were hemmed in. And you made a way where there is no way. And that's kind of where I am, Lord. Flip over to uh, 1 Corinthians 1. Now, not everybody here tonight is, is in that state. Some guys are. But I'm going to tell you, somewhere on your trail, you're going to find yourself in that position. And, and it would be dishonest to tell you otherwise. Where did I say we were going? 1 Corinthians 1. It would be dishonest to tell you anything other than that. It's a tough trail. It's a hard trail. Um, Jesus said in the world you'll have tribulation. He didn't say in the world you'll have an easy time. 
He said, in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Acts 14, 22 says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Not some, not few, many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Philippians 1.29, it's been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for his sake. So some preacher comes along who's real slick and is promising you all this stuff in this easy life. He doesn't know what he's talking about, and he's not biblical. Get away from him. He's not teaching the word of God. Just know that. Do not drink that Kool-Aid. Read your Bible, okay? There are good guys on Christian television. There are bad guys. And I've said it before. Guys say, well, how do you tell the difference? I always start with the hair. <laughs> Actually, what I want to do is go to 2 Corinthians 1. Now that I actually give it some thought, that's what I wrote down. All right, Paul's on the trail. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Well, I don't want any affliction. Well, you're going to have it, and he'll comfort you. And see, there's a reason for it. Know what he says. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that, here's the, here's the purpose, here's the reason, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. If you've never hurt, if you've never had the wheels knocked out from under you, if you've never had your, 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 your breath taken away and your bones ache because um, of, of something that's... Some guys, your wives have walked out on you. Some of you, you've walked out on your wives, but it created nothing but havoc. Um, you did something stupid at an early age, and, man, you found yourself in a mess and all this. And, 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 and yeah. it, this, this, this could be a thousand different things. Sometimes the affliction happens to us. Sometimes we bring on the affliction. But I'm going to tell you something. When you're in the affliction and God comforts you, now you're in a place to be used by God because now you can minister to somebody else with the comfort you've received in your affliction. And I'll tell you what, you're a lot more tuned in to hurting people because you have hurt. Five, just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also the comfort is abundant. It's just not suffering, it's comfort. And has he not been good to us, and has he not blessed us and given us much favor? The answer is yes. Okay, now, let's go to eight. We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia. Watch this. We were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. There, there, there are afflictions, and then there are afflictions in capital letters. And there, the guy in Psalm 77 is in some kind of major, big-time, big-league affliction. We're not always in affliction at that level, but when they come and, and they devastate us, Paul was in one. I'm so glad this is in the Bible. I am so glad. This was the Apostle Paul. You remember our affliction in Asia when we were excessively burdened? Watch this. Beyond our strength. I mean, I just, you know what? I can't take it anymore. You ever been there? I despaired even of life. This guy's an apostle. He despaired of life. He didn't want to keep going. Nine, indeed we had the sentence of death within ourselves. Watch this. Why do we go through this? Why does God, watch this. So that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You know what our problem is? We worship self. Not only do we worship self, but we trust ourselves. We trust ourselves to set our course. We trust ourselves to set our path. It doesn't mean we don't have gifts and we don't have intelligence and that we don't have a certain amount of information. We do have those things, but we are extremely limited. 
flip over to, uh, I'm going somewhere in James, and let's hope I can find it. Um, see, you got to make plans, and you got to kind of think about your life and where you're going and all that. Uh, in James 4.13, 4, you, know, you got to have a plan. you got to think ahead and all that stuff, okay? And, and if you're a good leader, if you're a good husband, you're a good father, you're thinking out ahead, okay? Verse 13 of 4 of James. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Good plan. Good plan. 14. Now, here's why you need to trust in God instead of just trusting in yourself. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Forget a year from now. You don't even know if you'll be alive tomorrow. Do you? No. I mean, we assume, but we don't know. Uh, you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while, and then you vanish away. Instead, watch this, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Not that you don't make plans, but you make your plans, and you say, you know, Lord, I'm writing this in pencil, Lord. What do you want to do here? I mean, this seems, I mean, this seems like the right course. And I've talked with some guys and, you know, and my wife, and we're all praying. This, this seems like we ought to go this way. But, Lord, my life's in your hands. You show me. You steer me, Lord. I, I've, I've done this too many times, and I've made a mess of things too many times. I am, I am trusting in you, Lord. Now, see, there's wisdom for the trail. Here's the deal. We've all failed on the trail. We've all failed, and we failed miserably. Um, we've all had major setbacks. Sometimes other people have failed us. Other people have failed us. And they've done great harm and damage to us. You know what's great about the about God overseeing your trail? Let me give you some responses to those things I just said. See, because of Christ, you failed? Well, your failure is not final. We've all failed. But because of Christ, failure is not final. Uh, because of Christ, your setbacks are not forever. Um, God is so great that when other people fail us and hurt us and harm us on the trail, God actually takes that and turns it for our good. Joseph said to his brothers who sold him into slavery when he was 17, years and years and years later after their father died, their, father's, their father dies, they're afraid of what Joseph is going to do now that their dad is dead. They're scared to death. And Paul, uh, Paul, Joseph said, you intended it for evil, but God, selling me into slavery, you hated my guts. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good to bring about this present result. So don't worry, I'll take care of you guys and your little ones. That's true in your life too. Who has failed you and who has hurt you? There's a sovereign God who oversees your trail just as he oversaw the trail of Joseph. So you don't have to go take revenge on those people, do you? No, you don't. Don't, don't, don't do that. <clears throat> don't return evil for evil. It's 1 Peter 3, or insult for insult. Give a blessing instead. You bless them as best you can. Okay. All right, last week, I, I read some stuff out of the big compilation of the Puritan pastors that Joel Beakey put together. I got something a lot smaller tonight. But it's still on Providence. It's by one of the men that Beakey quoted last week, Obadiah Sedgwick. There's a name for you. I like that, Obadiah. Obadiah Sedgwick. It's a pastor about 300 years ago. Um, 
I found this book about two years ago. And once again, I just keep reading it. He has two chapters called Don't Vex Your Mind. It's chapter, uh, it's two chapters. Don't vex your mind. In other words, when you hit a, you know what he's saying in here? You're going to hit a rough patch in the trail and you're going to have some stuff happen. And when, and when this happens to you, don't get vexed. Don't get all messed up. Don't get, don't get all out of kilter. Don't get all out of sorts. Because you see, like the guy in Psalm 77, you're going to have to work when you're in a rough patch, you're going to have to work to tell yourself the truth and to remember the truth. Um, I, I think I said last week that J.I. Packer, in talking about those old Puritan pastors, and those guys went through tremendous, tremendous, we don't know, a lot of us were just unfamiliar with these men. They were godly men. Packer said they are the giant redwoods in God's forest. They stand, they tower above everyone else. They went through tremendous persecution and suffering. Um, it was against the law to be an evangelical pastor in 1662. You lost your church. You lost your living. You could not go within five miles of your church and preach the gospel. So a lot of these guys wound up just, uh, I mean, li really living from hand to mouth. Many of them wound up in jail. Uh, tremendous persecution. So their roots went down deep. They had a lot of adversity, and they turned to the Word of God to find comfort. Okay. Don't vex your mind. Uh, the first thing I wanted to say, and I don't think I actually said it, Packer said that the Puritan pastors were physicians of the soul. And, and I read these guys because what they do is they diagnose my heart as I'm going down the trail. It's... it's it, it, you know, sometimes you got a heart monitor on and you're out working out and you got that heart monitor. These guys do spiritual heart monitor stuff. Why do I get vexed? Well, I love this section because he writes about it and where the heck did I just put the book? I just hid it away. All right? He, he has some conditions that cause us to get vexed as we go down the trail and we hit rough territory. I've mentioned these before in here. I want to mention them again because this is where some of us are. Um, we get vexed. When we hit these rough experiences, here's what we want. We're asking God to deliver us and get him out of them as quickly as he can. We want to be delivered. We don't want to be in this. We want, to, we want God to come in and deliver us and get us out. Makes sense. Okay. Now, after Don't Vex Your Mind, he has a chapter called Waiting on Providence. Because so much of the Christian life is waiting for a deliverance. When you read Psalms, you're always seeing the word wait. God has us waiting. Now, here's the deal. Let's talk about what vexes us, and then let's talk about, if you're in a waiting mode, what's actually going on. Okay. The first reason we get vexed is deadness of means. Deadness of means. What that means is you are in a rough spot, you find yourself in a situation, and you are pressed in and hemmed in like they were at the Red Sea. Now watch this, deadness of means, deadness of means means there's no way out, there's no escape, and you see nothing on your horizon that's going to get you out of this situation that is about to crush you, whether it's financially or health-wise, or relationally, or whatever, you are in a crisis with no way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says God always has a way out. He always has a way of escape. But see, we get into these tight situations, and we see no possible way. So God says to this man who's... 99, and he says to his wife, who's pushing 90, next year at this time, uh, you will impregnate her, and she will have a son. Now, he's got this condition called deadness of means.
Deadness of means can happen in any area of life, and this is why you get vexed. You don't see any way out. And some of you guys know what I'm talking about because you're there right now. Second thing that vexes us, crossness of events. Classic is Job 1. Job was blessed by God, affluent, a man who loved God, the greatest man in the world at that time, had a tremendous amount of prosperity, <laughs> and he's about to lose everything. Crossness of events. Uh, you have the favor of God, you're enjoying the goodness of God, and then it, it suddenly seems like God has turned against you, and everything is withheld, and you can't find the Lord. I mean, there's just, remember that guy said, when I think of God, I am disturbed? Crossness of events, more than likely. What has happened to my life? God, where are you? I can't find you. You might reference Job 30, verse 26 on that one. Uh, Sedgwick said another condition that vexes us is the weakness, I love how he puts this, the weakness and thinness of our day-to-day -day life. In other words, we're at a point in life, whatever area of life it is, you've got no surplus. You are hanging by a thread with no net. You are just out there. In other words, you, because you're so weak and because so thin, you don't have the normal assets, you don't have the normal things you've had before, you're, there's weakness, there's thinness in your life, um, you are utterly vulnerable. Okay. The fourth thing that gets us, that vexes us, is a a crushing blow of great intensity or a series of afflictions that come one on top of the other. I take you back to Job where in a matter of 45 minutes, he gets news, I've lost this, I've lost this, I've lost this. He lost everything, including his kids. Everything was taken away. And then in the next chapter, he's got boils from head to toe. Now, whatever it is of those situations that you're facing, the fact is you are in trouble and you are in deep adversity. You, you have been crushed and you are asking God to, to deliver you, to send a mercy and deliver you. Okay, now, when these things happen, it would be wonderful to have an instantaneous deliverance. Oftentimes, that will not occur, but God will keep you in this for a season. Why? He's got some things to teach us, you see, so that we will not trust in ourselves, but trust in him. Now, very quickly, this wise uh, physician, Obadiah Sedgwick, let me give you kind of five perspectives. If you're waiting on the Lord, are, are you, this is for the guy that's on a real rough stretch of the trail right now, and you need some encouragement. Here are five. I think it's five. We'll see when I get to five. Maybe it'll be six. There, there are at least five perspectives on this trail. If you were waiting for God to deliver you. Uh, I'm going to read some things to you. I'm not going to start with number one yet. Let me just take a running start at this. Sedgwick says, waiting upon the providence of God is an unlimited resignation of ourselves and our desires to the seasons or times of God's good pleasure with a continued expectation of some good promised. He is the Lord and may do what he will. He is my God. My times are in his hands. If my sufferings are longer, yet my heart shall be made better. If my mercies are delayed, yet my God will hear me at length. 
As for the when of my deliverance, I leave that to him. Here is the first principle. Our times belong to providence as well as our issues. Okay? Whatever your issue is. Is it health? Is it a a family deal? Is it something with a kid? Is it a a deal at work where your boss is all over you and working against you and bad-mouthing you? Whatever it is, as we saw last week out of Thessalonians, uh, you've been appointed to this. God's well aware of it. Okay? So not only are your times in his hands, but your situation is in his hands. Here's the second principle. God's providence is pleased to take time before it does us good. We just want out. We just want the pain to stop. But God will take time. He goes on and says, as he is the God of our mercy, so he is the Lord of our times. Watch this. He often delays us when he does not intend to deny us. Let me say that again. He often delays us when he does not intend to deny us. He is going to send a mercy. He is going to send good, but not yet. It's too early. Three. Providence, meaning God's providence, obviously, Providence will find a time to do us good. Although God does take time, yet he will not waste time. God never wastes time when we're in suffering. God uses every iota of the suffering to accomplish his purposes. Although God takes time, he will not waste time. Let me give you a verse right here. Isaiah 64.4. If you're waiting on God for a deliverance, No eye has seen a God like thee who works for those who wait for him. Are you waiting for a deliverance? Are you waiting for God to come through? And you don't see anything. You don't hear anything. And you think nothing's happening. You are dead wrong because what is happening is as we are waiting, God is working and setting things up. That's what he does. Have you ever seen him do that in your life? I've seen him. You've seen him. Four. The time of his providence is always the best time. In other words, when he delivers, it will be the best time. God's all about timing. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Here's another one. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that at the right time he may exalt you. Uh, I've mentioned this before. Mary makes uh, protein shakes, and so I'm often getting a message, on your way home, can you get some bananas? She's out of bananas. Now, I've gone into Walmart, I've gone into Target, I've walked in, and there are hundreds of bananas. I walk in, I look, and I turn around, and I leave. Don't pick up one banana because they're green. When Mary says, can you bring home some bananas? She doesn't mean green bananas. She means yellow bananas with just a little green on top. And just, she means, here's what she means. She means ripe bananas. Green bananas are worthless. See, we're pounding, we're waiting. Oh, God, deliver me, deliver me, and deliver me. He will not send you green bananas. When God delivers, it will be right, and it will be ripe. Ripe. It's worth waiting for. Number five, and I do have six, actually. Sedgwick does. The denials of providence, uh, let me back up. I got it wrong. The delays of providence are not denials but preparations. The delays of providence are not denials, but preparation. God, as you're waiting, he's preparing your heart, softening your heart, teaching you the lessons so that when he delivers the good, you can handle it. And again, I'll say this, we do this with our kids. You intend to give a good to a child, 
but you know the child is not quite ready for it, and so you delay it. You don't intend to deny it. You're just delaying it because they're not quite there yet to handle it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Here's number six. This is phenomenal. Six. Providence often doubles the mercy by delaying it. Doubles it. See, where do you get that? Well, there's no scripture. I just, some guy on TV said it. No, that's not right. Listen, uh, God often doubles the mercy by delaying it. Check out Isaiah 61, 7. And then just think through Job. All that Job, Job lost, all that Job suffered at the end, after he had prayed for his friends, after he had prayed for his friends and essentially forgiven them, everything he lost, God brought back. Double. Double. He lived. You can see how many more years he lived. God, God just brought him favor. And see, the tendency is to think, I'm going to be in this forever. You don't know what God's going to do. You just don't know on this stretch of trail. He doesn't take us through it to ruin us. He takes us through it to rebuild us and to use us. Don't ever, the, the Puritans would talk about God's arithmetic and ours. Don't ever put God on a time schedule. Don't, don't ever say, Lord, I, I just pray that by June I'll be out of this. June comes, you're not out of it. God never said June. You said June. You made it up. You just say, Jesus, I'm all in with you. You know what's best in my life. I trust you with my life. My times are in your hand. Not my will, but thine be done. I trust you. So, Father, that's our prayer as we finish tonight. The guys on a tough stretch, encourage their hearts. Give us perspective. You've not forgotten us. You've not abandoned us. You've not deserted us. You're overseen, and you'll make a way, and you'll take care, and you'll get us through, and you'll teach us the lessons that we need to be more effective for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.